This is Rugger Matrix International, the world's leading independent rugby podcast quoted more than anyone else. It's no wonder that our major partner is Strike, Australia's leading provider of Bluetooth car kits, so you can stay safe in your car and avoid hefty fines. So go hands-free with Strike. Enter the code RUGGERMATRIX and you'll get 10% off. Go to strike.com.au to get your discount. Rugger Matrix also brought to you by mybean.com.au. We sell at roasters' prices. Let's get it on. Hello and welcome to episode 199 of Rugger Matrix International. And the autumn series is over and it's all run and won. We're not always won by the teams you want. Mark Cashman, as you join me, uh, was a very big end and a good one for England. Certainly was, but a bit of a train crash for the old Wallabies. A bit like the Eastern Suburbs Tunnel on my way over oh, here to Maroubra yeah. the, tonight. You were blowing anyway, up the Lux. That's right. You had to get it in there. We're I was here. spewing, as they say. <laughs> All right. Well, if you can see over our shoulder, uh, one more show to the Magic 200, and we'll have a pretty special couple of guys on that show next week. But how about this big fella over our shoulder? He was on the show many moons ago, one of the early ones, and he's the former Wallabies prop, tight head prop, so a lot of synergy there and something in common with the great Mark Cashman, Ben Darwin. Ben, welcome to Rugger Matrix again. Thank you, Juro. It is a genuine pleasure again to be with <laughs> All right, you. We're going to talk to you about uh, your new business as well, Gameline, which is producing some interesting uh, statistics and uh, I guess um, modelling on, uh, on teams and what they have to do to be successful and what has led to success of teams at super rugby level and of course at test level and other sports too. Uh, we're talking basketball, EPL, those sorts of things. But uh, Ben, first of all, uh, uh, the internationals have been completed as we said and, and a pretty good win to England over the Wallabies. Wallabies going through a dramatic change in style but geez, one thing that hasn't changed from the last couple of weeks, the scrum was absolutely pulverised. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't great, was it? Um, I think the interesting thing at the moment is there's a real inconsistency between the Wallabies at scrum time at the start of the game and then the back end of the game. And the back end of the game is where we seem to be having some pretty um, awful problems. Why do, you, why do you think that is? But I, I think generally, you know, Will Skelton's got some inexperience at right side lock. I think um, on the weekend, uh, he was matched with Luke Jones, if my memory corrects, uh, serves me correctly, towards, towards, the, towards the end of that game. And We've got two guys there that really don't play lock um, specifically enormously well in comparison to maybe what they else they bring around to the game. So whenever you make those changes, you've got to have guys come on and be totally effective. And I think we see Will lose a bit of shape, particularly through his back on that right-hand side. And, um, you know, once he gets starts to get fatigued, I think that's a real area of his game he really needs to work on supporting his props as well as he can. I mean, that's typical of me saying it's it's all the front uh, second row's fault, not the front row's fault. But um, that's just what I can see so far. Um, uh, generally, well, he's of course, coming on late, though, you know, uh, isn't he? So yeah, he is. He's definitely coming on late. But that seems to be where we're having some issues. Obviously, there's some collapsing stuff. England's always going to have a powerful scrum. You know, the last time we had massive issues at scrum time against England was 05 when we had um, we had three flankers playing in the background. We had McMenamin as right side lock. So if we don't get that stuff perfect, if we don't really load up scrum-wise with the right cattle at the right time, 
that's when we find ourselves in a difficulty. It's not a it's not a major strength of ours, but we need to have parity. Yeah, obviously. At the moment, Wallabies v England, it's uh, it's very much huge man versus not so huge man, isn't it? And uh, that really took its toll. And I think obviously to win a World Cup in uh, in the UK, we're going to have to get bigger and we're going to have to scrum better. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's interesting, and in what we do is you know looking at teams and generally. The more numbers you have of rugby players, the bigger your athletes are going to be, simply through weight of cattle. And England have, have basically had that now in, over us for 10 or 15 years. They just have some massive, massive athletes, whereas we just don't have those guys physically available. We don't have to beat England in the scrums to win. We just have to be able to negate it as a strength for them. And they they really draw on it as a strength, and they, they draw on that power, and they get excited around it. I, I still think there's some issues in terms of the refereeing and the understanding um, from the IRB, so that which is which is kind of disappointing, but we're not helping ourselves, are we, in terms of their expectations? Certainly not. Uh, you talk about numbers, though. Um, how do you explain then, Ben? Uh, teams like Samoa, Tonga, and who don't mind New Zealand. Uh, obviously, there's, there is a national game, but uh, you know England can pull for from more players uh, just from the vast population of of the nation. Yeah, they can. Obviously, you're going to have some physical elements with Samoans and Tongans, but you know they generally haven't matched up um, as as well as scrum time either against the English um, or the or the All Blacks. So they don't get a lot of games, obviously, against them. But um, you know, Australia has a unique scenario in terms of our um, that how we source our athletes in a country with four codes. So you tend to get your taller guys tend to be getting picked off by AFL and, and other sports. But um, you know, we have the situation we have. We have these players we have, but they can't change between now and next year. So. I'm sure Bladesy, who's an outstanding scrum coach, will be doing uh, everything he can to get things get things sorted. And and I think we do need to stick with Skelton. He just needs to get a lot of scrums under his belt. Benny, um, obviously some tweaks that Czech was trying to bring in during the during this spring tour uh, are, are they effective? And uh, do you think the group's going to going to take it on board and run with it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're not getting. You know, you see where, that a team is not believing in how they play when you get blowouts, and we really didn't have any blowouts. We're finishing the game scoring. Um, I think there just needs to be a level of understanding with the guys, and um, you know, obviously, there's some issues around around the set piece. But I, I definitely feel like the team is exactly on board with what he's doing and where he wants to what go. Is he, what, is it, um, what do you think he's doing? Is it the same that he did at the Waratahs? Um, to be honest with you, mate, I I think they. They seem to be looking to offload a little bit more, and they seem to obviously play with a little bit more width. I, I, I actually didn't get to see the weekend because I got up to watch it on commercial television <laughs> and discovered it would have been bad news, buddy. I've only seen, I've only seen uh, highlights of the game, but I've watched, I've watched quite a bit more. I think, I think the high-paced game that Checker has tried to bring to the table is definitely, um, you know, something that he worked on very, very well at Leinster and. Um, it suited the Waratahs. It's very difficult from a test scenario, I think, to keep the pace of the game going, particularly when you're going to have the level of physicality that you have. Mm. Um, you know, Super Rugby, you can play high-paced because you do seem to get, um, you, you don't get the same sort of level of physicality, so the games really fall apart late, whereas we don't get that in, uh, in test football. The defensive lines hold really, really well for long periods We've of time. We've spoken about the team in white. There's a team in green over there that looks pretty handy too, Benny. Yeah, mate, they've... Um, They've continued to improve. I mean, I, I actually said, uh, and I'm not claiming anything, I said an article six months ago, I thought the final of the World Cup's going to be the All Blacks against the Irish, and I was received some death threats, basically, from people <laughs> because they said England's building towards something special. Um, they haven't missed a beat with uh, with O'Driscoll out of the side, and um, 
uh, you know, it's it's very fundamentally Leinster and uh, Leinster and Munster, but they're they're keeping on, um, they're improving, and uh, they've got they've got a they've got a pretty good side there, and I reckon they're going to challenge very yeah, nicely. And they've even overcome the fact that uh, when you talked about uh, using their provinces, the loss of Johnny Sexton to France for a period as well. Yeah, and particular, but I think he's got that history with those other guys, so that does help a little bit. I mean, they're nowhere near as much um, you know, using their imported players as the Welsh are. Um, you know, I think the Welsh almost probably a third of their starting fifteen are currently playing out of France, which is a real concern for them. Um, and obviously, that's a path for South Africans going down as well. Um, we can obviously talk about the reasons to why that's good or bad later on. But um, I really think the Irish are in good shape, and I think the Scottish are really improving as well. And and I think generally we're seeing this rise in the Celtic teams um, uh, generally across the board, which I, which I do think is good for rugby. I don't think having you know, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand favourites every single World Cup is entirely uh, great for the sport. Tell us more about the, uh, the the Scotland situation, Benny. It's uh, you know they've uh, they've they've got a new coach in Vern Cotter, and uh, they they obviously have been not 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 well led for, uh, for for quite a number of years, but they're getting some some promising results. Yeah, a lot of it is around um, uh, how they how they're basing their team and. You know, we've had a situation in Scotland where they've gone from four clubs to three to two to three and back again, and they've settled on that. You know, they've got a situation too where Edinburgh has imported a large, um, they've imported basically half the population of Cape Town into their side when Solomon's came in, and so there's not a lot of um, not a lot of Scottish guys in that squad. So they've had to basically base the team around the Glasgow team, which has been very successful. I think they're sitting top of the table in the Pro 12, um, uh, much to a lot of people's uh, surprise, and. Um, I think too they're they're going to start to uh, start to aim away from using guys who are playing in the Aviva Premiership and um, and in doing that they filled a side against the uh, the All Blacks that really challenged them. Um, I think they were fifteen to one to win the game and I thought I thought those odds were pretty um, uh, pretty stark in terms of the Scottish performance and they were they were impressive. Their, their attacking isn't fantastic but they're defending really really well and um, uh, they've got a lot of spirit about them which is great to see because Scottish rugby has been suffering obviously. Well, for this some brings time. us to. What- and so, Ben, that brings us to your recent, uh, I guess, appearance in the press with Stuart Lancaster, and you've claimed that uh, England can't win the World Cup next year, and that's a lot to do with cohesion. And you talked about all their players, the thousands and thousands of great players, but they can't bring them all together to one unit to win the World Cup. Now, obviously, um, you talked about being on a hit list before. Uh, are England coming to get you? Are they saying that you're their saviour? Um, it's an interesting conversation. So, so I, this uh, story actually came out of an interview I did at the IRB conference, and I said to the uh, to the guy writing the story, the one thing I don't want you to write as a headline is England can't win. Um, now he didn't, but it was picked up by the Australian, and the Australian sub editor put oh, England so can't win. So, oh. as as you would always do, you read the article, and I said it just makes it harder for Lancaster to be successful, given the setup that England have, and and. Um, what we what we do as a business is we basically try to get a valuation in teams around the relationships between the players. So the little bits of understanding and you know a really good way to, to, to measure that, for example, is the fact that you know um, Phipps and Foley individually may not be the best nine and ten in Australia, but they are the best together because they played sevens together. They played um, Sydney University Colts. They played Sydney first grade, and now they played the Wallabies together for a period of time. So. The level of understanding they have between each other is what makes them extraordinary. And I remember asking uh, Sammy accordingly, who's the best number 10 you ever played with? And he played with Larkham. I think he played with um, 
probably played with Knox at one stage and certainly a lot of other quality players. And he said, Nathan Spoon is the best 10 I've ever played with. And I couldn't understand why. And he said, because Spoon's always understood exactly where I was going to put the ball. I understood his footwork. He understood my timing. And so when we played together, there was always such a great level of understanding because we played Colts, we played junior reps through Eastwood um, and played on 21s together. So um, it's those kind of little understandings that I think are, are not valued particularly well. Um, and so we look at that from a test perspective and we look at it from a, from a club perspective. And um, it's also around what we call the portability of talent. So when guys change clubs, how long does it take them to settle in? Um, what positions are very important on this front? And we, we measure it in teams. And generally, um, you can, if you have enough money, you can buy talent. You look at Toulon, they'll spend that you know, $20, $30 million to buy titles. But um, it's, it's, they're not getting anywhere near their value for money in terms of how cohesive that team is comparative to, say, a Munster who are spending between, say, 7 and $9 million, uh, euro, sorry, um, and, and making a team that's, uh, that's, that's pretty effective and pretty much matches to one of So, Benny, it's, it's probably not an immediate fix for, uh, for a coach out there, is it? It's, uh, it, it, it's more about forward planning and, uh, you know, it's uh, a real macro-level style of thing that you're uh, in, investigating here. Yeah, it is totally. A number of teams I speak to says, I'll oh, go talk to the analyst. I said, well, I'm an analyst. You know, there's nothing I can really do to help them. And we, when we talk to teams, we talk about, you know, maybe helping them. Sorry, the boys are going to be crazy. Um, I thought it was Stuart Lancaster uh, in the background. Yes, no, no. So, so we talk to teams, um, you know, we say we can help you from a coaching perspective, maybe, you know, to help you 1% or 2% for this season. And we can look at how oppositions function and maybe even 4 or 5%. But we're talking about what are the long-term impacts of um, you know, adding players to your team, um, you know, we know there's a certain tipping point. We have this number called a TWI, for example, which is how cohesive a team is, and um, it comes a percentage. Now, the so Crusaders have been number one. TWI is we call a teamwork index, which is how teamwork cohesive a team index. is. Teamwork index, yep. Um, and it, it basically we give it as a percentage. So the Crusaders have been sitting above eighty percent basically now for sixteen years. So and and what these teams are when they're highly cohesive is they're extremely good at playing away from home. Um, they're, they're very, very sustainable. They get the best level of performance per dollar. Um, uh, they, even if they do win a title, they're, they're always staying there or thereabouts. If you go and buy a team, um, if you win it, sometimes these teams fall away very, very quickly. Um, good example of this is uh, Penrith Rugby League in 2003 or uh, West 2005. Um, uh, the, the, the players disperse, particularly if they've been brought into the organisation. Um, and uh, these teams like the Crusaders, uh, they're always in finals, always giving themselves an opportunity. And what we find amazing is you actually, the more cohesive your team is, the less talent you actually need to be successful, the next, less skill you need um, as, uh, in terms of individuals because the level of understanding offsets that. I hope that makes you've, sense. You've, you've explored oh. a number of sports, Ben. It's not only rugby, uh, there's EPL, uh, uh, basketball. Are the Crusaders up there with the with the best that you've seen? The Crusaders are, and and one thing you know, it's all about the fluidity of the marketplace. So, um, you know, the NBA, for example, is a very very fluid market. So most teams are sitting around sort of thirty forty percent on that TWI scale. However, a team like the San Antonio Spurs are sitting at seventy percent. So San Antonio are better, but they're better because um, the distance between them and the opposition. Um, so the Crusaders might be at 80%, but other teams might be at uh, 70%, like say the Waratahs are at the moment. Um, now with, uh, with San Antonio, they've been in the place for 17 years in a row, had the same coach for 17 years. They haven't had a first-round draft pick in that time, so they haven't had any access to talent. 
Um, you see that as well with a team like Geelong in the AFL. Um, they don't they don't get access through the draft to talented players. They they more base their players around um, character. Actually, they they just want to go for good young guys, and that keeps the group together. Um, and so uh, yeah, so the, the the great teams in this area, are, um, you know, in football, for example, Barcelona, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, was Manchester United uh, under Ferguson, um, San Antonio Spurs, ice hockey, Boston Bruins. Um, and these teams are always uh, in the mix to be successful. Um, they're far more profitable than other clubs because they get great buy-in because the people love their players. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're always within an opportunity to win and, and they don't actually have the best, uh, the best athletes. Well, one of the things about uh, international rugby, Benny, is, is, is the fact that uh, all test teams are selected. Uh, they're, they're not sort of pulled together. A la, like like a club team or, or or a super rugby team where you're contracted to play there. So the environment's slightly different. Is 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 that TWI uh, factor? Is that uh, all been factored in with 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 some of those variables uh, added on? Yeah, I think so. Um, we measure test teams entirely differently, but um, you know, if you think about you think about rugby twenty years ago, is generally it would be a whole bunch of guys playing for disparate clubs all over the place and then they pull them together for a, for a, for a test match three days before and on they go. Um, you know, during that time, Australia was was quite successful because we had such a small number of clubs and they were generally based around Randwick, um, you know, or, uh, or some of the That's Queensland right, sure. clubs. And I remember, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I remember Peter Fitzsimon saying, um, you know, playing against England, he kept asking himself, is this the very best team these guys can put out given the number of clubs they have? Now, I mean, Australian rugby had a really good unfair advantage in that front in only having, you know, the, those teams and then a New South Wales and a Queensland. Um, now, when rugby then went professional, things changed quite a bit. And, for example, um, the Irish have had a really good, um, really good setup because, for example, they've got now the four provinces. They started playing together a lot. And that's just given them some continuous improvement all the way through since rugby went pro. You know, if you look at the Six Nations through 90, 91, 92, France and England were way ahead of everyone else because they just had so many numbers and therefore so many quality players. Um, you know, the Irish, without the number of quality players, the Welsh and the Scottish now are really um, bringing themselves back into the field because of the way that their rugby unions are set up and the way their professional teams are set up. So how you select from your um, provincial teams is crucially important uh, into the success of your national so, team. So, Ben, how do you then bring all this information, the data together... Because historically, you can analyse all this. How do you then go to a team and say, look, um, ha- ha- we can help you uh, moving forward? Because the historical thing's one thing. They could just take and say, thanks very much. Yeah, and, um, you know, we we work with a, a number of professional organisations at the moment. And of course, we're looking to further down the track. But we've, we've come up with 21 different ways a team can improve their level of cohesion across their team. And we're never saying, you know, just pick certain guys, but it's important to understand at certain times when you're signing guys across to your team what, how things can happen. Um, when, you're, um, when you're deciding to get rid of a player, what are you actually getting rid of? Not only are you getting rid of that individual athlete, you're also getting rid of the understanding that athlete has with everyone else. So, um, and, and when you look at another team, for example, if, you, if you're looking at another club, you're looking at a 10 um, uh, for example, it's important to realise that that player is only performing to that level at that club at that point. So what you, what you're buying is not exactly what you're going to get. And and we've had some discussions with the club we work with at the moment that said we bought these five four players off this champion uh, championship team 
and something happened to them on the airplane and the ones that we bought didn't turn up. Um, and so it's, it's the level of understanding those guys have and the relationships they have with the other players and the understanding. And so when they come into a new environment, um, the data tells us uh, across all these different sports that it can take guys up to three years to, to hit their peak again to get that level of understanding. And the more experience they have, the harder it is. What are some of the other of those 21 factors, Ben? Um, I won't tell you everything. Part of it is you can bring guys across together. That's a really simplistic way of doing it. Um, part of it also is understanding around where is cohesion the most important and, and generally we find it's defence. So, for example, the three teams that have won the NRL with low, low cohesive teams, they had cohesion in different ways. Is that They brought them across from other sides. So Melbourne Storm brought it from... Um, uh, Hunter Mariners, uh, Western Reds and um, Newcastle Knights, um, uh, the West Tigers, um, uh, they brought from a couple of other clubs, obviously Western Western um, Tigers themselves, but some juniors. And then um, with uh, with Penrith, they brought a lot of guys across from Cronulla to win that title in 03. What was interesting about it is, is one, they fell apart as soon as they won. Both All three of those teams averaged 10th over the next four years, whereas, say, a Brisbane Broncos, you know, they're averaging third over the next you know, um, four years. The other part is they had some of the worst defensive records in the competition. I think Penrith that year, actually, their defensive record was like eighth or ninth best. So they were able to overcome um, uh, their poor defence, which is, which is really where cohesion manifests itself the most, is understanding in defence. Um, we, we hear a lot of clubs saying that don't have particularly cohesive teams, that they lack line speed, particularly in rugby league. Um, they, they're unable to go forward with confidence because they're not sure when they go next to them. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's one area that's really important to work on. And, and you can see that because, you know, the ARC this year, sorry, NRC, ARC, which yeah, one is it, Euro? It was Akasha. NRC. <laughs> that's right. NRC, NRC this year, um, you know, it, it was a very uncohesive competition. You know, you really only had one or two teams that were, um, you know, singularly basing themselves around Super Rugby clubs. You had a lot of guys drawn together and you're av- averaging um, 72 points per game or something insane because the level of defence and understanding between each group, I mean, there was a highway between 10, 12 and 13 much to the well, games. The comp also people were being t- was set up for tries with, with different laws. Totally. But, 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 Juro, you know, we've looked at so many different competitions across so many years whenever this occurs. I mean, how many high-scoring Barbarians games are there? I mean, generally, um, uh, um, high, um, what do you call it, um, all-star games or games where people are brought together are generally high-scoring games. If you look at the... Um, uh, the Campisi Championship, the Campisi representative games they had in the early nineties, I think, was ninety all or something yeah, like that. That's the that's um, the creme de la creme, isn't it? They're, they're the, the elite players generally in Barbar's games from other teams, whereas this is um, this is much lower level. That's true, but but uh, you know we could I could give you fifty different examples in every competition where the lowest cohesive teams uh, defensively are worse. This is um, I'm just giving you some simple examples here in terms of the NRC, but. But generally, all of these low cohesion teams are—it's um, where they uh, where they struggle. And of, of course, the Rebels—you know—we we spent vast sums of money putting together some very very talented teams. But defence was our biggest concern uh, from the outset. Um, you know, we were able to score, but we just couldn't um, defend uh, enough, and that was uh, that was a massive issue. Despite the fact we had some very very good talent just on the field. Cash on defence. Can we just keep going with that? Quick example: Australia is struggling in that regard, uh, particularly turning defence, uh, attack into a defence. This is something that Les Kiss does superbly with Ireland. He's developed a really good defensive structure and Kissy's always said um, if you get cut you shouldn't bleed to death. 
And, 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 and many times teams think they can bend the Irish line, but guess what? You end up in touch very soon after. So he's developed a really good trusting system, but that has taken time. Oh, totally. It takes time and totally, you, you know, you have to have work, um, you know, with understanding. And, and one of the interesting things we found if we've looked at coaches is if you've got a very cohesive, uh, well-organized team, if you bring in a new coach to that environment, um, if the coach has no idea what he's doing, the team won't do too badly. Hmm. So you've actually had teams that be, be quite successful um, in all sorts of sports that generally the coach has been a bit of a, a bit of a, um, a blank space. Right so now, to speak. But I won't name it. That's all right. So, so we've, we've seen that across all these different sports. So a guy with a different set of ideas is more dangerous than a guy with, with no idea. So um, if you look at the example of Manchester United is that um, uh, when Moyes came in, he wanted to change the way they do things. He changed some of the staff. He changed the way they attacked, changed the way they defended. And it, and it was very hard for them. You saw the players got sort of a bit demotivated from the outset. Um, whereas I would say I would have coached Manchester United better than, than Moyes did. Not because I know what I'm doing, it's because I have no idea what I'm doing. But there's also a patience factor there, Ben, where because of the size of that operation, people won't tolerate um, uh, a lack of success and you don't get the time that, say, Sir Alex had previously, or if you're a lower-rung team, there can be you know people who can expect you to, to go one or two seasons with a, with a result uh, to, to get a, you know, an end result that is victorious. I think it's a it's a really good point, and and that's one of the things that we work with is actually just saying to clubs, you need to be patient, you need to think about these things. I mean, if you look at Chelsea, you know, um, under Roman Abramovich, you know, the Russian oligarch, he, he he didn't have any patience for ten years, and he spent hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars. And it was the first club ever to 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 put a team on the field that didn't have any English in it, in it whatsoever. Chelsea now is the second most cohesive team in the EPL, so they've actually gone the other way. They've decided to hold the group together because he eventually realised that going around in circles wasn't going to get him anywhere. Well, look at um, and, and then Pogba, you know, who he, he's supposed to be up, but finished and, and look at him. Mm. And so many times when these guys change clubs, um, they really do struggle. And and um, but we found generally, you know, the NBA, for example, they sack one point five coaches. Sorry, that the average the average tenure of a coach in the NBA is is one point five seasons because they're given a group of guys that said right, coach and win. And they fail now. By our numbers, we only would have um, sacked one or two coaches in the NBA last season because they were had a bit of a poison chalice. There was nothing they could uh, plausibly do with the groups they were given. Um, and and we sort of rank teams by how cohesive they are, and then we'll say, okay, well, how much money are you spending? And that's your capacity. You'll have a certain capacity for success. Um, you know, and the NBA was won last year by the team that was, uh, I think, spent the twentieth most money, but was the most cohesive team, which was San Antonio. So, Benny, using some of these theories. Uh... Perhaps the, the Queensland Reds Super Rugby uh, Championship win was was sown probably two or three years earlier when, when, when that young group of kids out of that Australian under-19, under-20 under side came through. That, that team, um, Kesha, was the most cohesive team in the, in the tournament that year and I think they were at 90% and they haven't been that high since. It was pretty extraordinary. Um, you know, they beat, they beat a team. We talk about teams, um, you know, functioning well under duress most teams would have collapsed under all that pressure. The Crusaders played every single game away from home. Um, they were the second most highly cohesive team in the tournament that season um, and, and still managed to have this, what I think is the most extraordinary season in Super Rugby to make a final, you know, in the way they had to travel and where they had to play. But certainly you're 100% right. And I think, you know, there's some factors in there with Queensland that we haven't even started counting yet. For example, I think four of those guys played the same high school team together. 
Um, you know, we find so many examples where players are playing together and they end up being the best. Um, you know, Little and Horan, I think, met when they were 12 at a rugby league camp. Um, Bunsen, Little, uh, who consequently, um, you know, played same club, same province, same country, and yet regarded probably as the best centres New Zealand's ever had. What we're saying is what factor did cohesion have in those performances um, as opposed to singular um, uh, talent? Um, you know, Kearns Daly, McKenzie, another example, guys playing at Randwick together into New South Wales, into Australia. And, uh, in 2011, you're talking about the uh, Christchurch earthquake, which resulted Sorry, in yep. not just relocating their home ground, but uh, the emotional impact on that city was, was enormous. So, yeah, it was one of the great efforts by a team. You talk about cohesion, that was pretty damn solid. So that's what you're talking about there, Ben. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned uh, combinations. I mean, we could talk about combinations all the time. You know, one of the things that came to mind when you're talking about um, Australia and, and uh, the half five-eighth, uh, you know, I, I reckon one of the best service uh, providers I've ever seen from halfback was Peter Slattery, Casho. And around the same time, you had Michael Liner and you also had uh, in New South Wales, uh, Nick Farr-Jones. So, you know, you had two great halfbacks and, you know, any other era, Peter Slattery would have been there every day of the week. And, you know, his combination with Queensland was great, but he still also had Nick Farr-Jones, who was an enormous athlete and, you know, a leader as well for Australia. Yeah, and, and we're never saying necessarily, you know, you need to always pick, um, you know, the, the, guy, the guys who are playing together, but we are saying you need to understand this affects performance. Um, and I, and I think a number I, I was talking to you earlier off air was, you know, uh, the last, we just decided to measure the last sort of 22 test matches played over this period and 20 of the 22 were, were decided by the team that was more cohesive from a club perspective and from an international perspective. So, um, you know, we've we got a lot more testing to do in the, in, the, um, in the test arena in terms of the numbers, but um, it certainly seems to be coming up and, and uh, it certainly seems to be having an impact on performance. It's not just uh, caps. The, uh, the performance of the Waratahs, to, to get it done over a two-year period seems, uh, seems, seems quite amazing. So probably a, a cohesion was, was a factor and, 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 and a few other things there, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, Waratahs have generally, from our, our data, have generally had some pretty good numbers um, all the way through their existence. And they have been there or thereabouts, you know, even the, you know, they have lost titles, but um, we talk about cohesion, putting yourself in a position to win a title, and, and obviously they had those years where the Crusaders were outstanding in terms of those numbers. Um, uh, I, I would say, if you were to look at what's given the Waratahs a really good lift the last couple of years, is, is Sydney University, and so many of those guys have played club football together, um, you know, into that uh, Waratahs team and into the into the Wallabies. Um, uh, I think the uh, I'm thinking about. Um, you know, the Foley and, and Fanger scenario and, and, and how much that certainly helped them. But um, I remember Till saying after the uh, after Sydney Uni won another grand final and they said, well, what, you know, why are you why is Sydney Uni so successful? Is it the program? Is it the gym? And he said, no, no, we've just played since we were kids together. We've played Colts together. We've played great together. You know, we've all grown up together. And the level of understanding they've got, and, and I'd say the number one reason why Sydney Uni's been so successful is, yes, they've got a good program, but they've got the best transitions of cults into grade of any program in Sydney, and that's what helps them to be so successful. So, Ben, if that's the case, uh, what, what's your immediate advice to a coach when you come to speak to them about uh, the facts you bring to the table? Um, do you say, look, you, you've got to go and buy this pair of players? Uh, or, um, I'll give you an example of uh, the Brisbane Broncos. They weren't successful until they brought Glenn Lazarus 
uh, one player uh, into their uh, front row that changed that team. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with signing an individual. We generally find the issue comes when you sign a lot of players en masse. Um, a good example of that is Richmond and the AFL this year. They had finals here before. They were really well set up. Um, they'd signed quite a few members into the team for this season and they just lost their way a little bit. Um, you know, prop um, in rugby league is is not a position where it's as important as, say, your spine, which is hooker, halfback, fullback, five-eighth, um, because it's a simplistic position in rugby league. I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion, but it's... Um, you know, it's hit up and defend. That's your two two sort of key roles. It was a little bit, um, a little bit different back then. It's since. It's, it's, yeah, totally. I agree with you now, but Lazarus performed a bit. It was a bit more complex than that, but yeah, I agree now. I, 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 yeah, I totally agree, but um, again, uh, uh, what we find is this. If you've already got a cohesive group, bringing in a singular player is not an issue. So, example, Crusaders this year brought in Nadolo, and, you know, he hadn't been fantastic at the Force or the Tars or any of the English clubs or NEC. When he came to the Crusaders, he was given a simplistic role. Um, everyone else understood their role. Simplistic's the wrong word. He, he understood his role very, very well, and he played well. And I'd say it's the same thing with the Broncos. Broncos always had very, very good numbers from the outset. They were able to perform um, straight away. They had quite a young group, but um, that, that group was, uh, from memory, it was Wynn and Manly and Norths in Brisbane and, and a few guys from South in Brisbane. Um, they'd already had a lot of understanding with guys from, from uh, playing with Queensland and um, previously and so they had a ready-made team there ready to go and Bennett was very consistent in how he functioned um, and they were they were pretty successful over time so certainly like I said there's no question bringing one guy in um, it's when you bring in a lot of guys and uh, an example I'd give is that um, you know generally we find a team if they drop in the cohesion by 10 or 15 percent in one season um, they're going to have a very very hard year and uh, you know a great example of that was the Highlanders in 2012 um, they dropped 20% and they won three games through the whole season, including losing the Rebels, which is normally a coach killer, to be honest with you. Um, most, of the, most of the teams that, that lost to us were, uh, were immediately fired. But, um, you know, the Highlanders, you know, brought in a bunch of guys who have been very successful with the All Blacks, Woodcock, uh, Tamati Ellison, uh, Mahanonu, but it, they just couldn't get it to work. And defences particularly were told for them. They had a horrible year defensively and, uh, um, and they've, uh, they've moved on from that now and done much better with a less talented group. Benny, if you could pick a team anywhere in the world, any sort of code that's ready to go off, that's uh, ready to go, you know, a bit like Giro sent at the Channel 7 Christmas party, <laughs> who would that be? I'll ban myself from those parties, mate. <laughs> um, uh, the team that I would say is going to have the biggest growth would be Southampton in, in the EPL. Um, you know, if you look at the difference between, say, them and Man City, so there's a 30% differential roughly between them and Man City in terms of uh, cohesion. There's a $190 million differential in their budgets. Um, so they're able to put together some pretty good performances. They've got a 50% academy policy, which in England is massive. In, say, the Bundesliga, that would be disappointing because, you know, they generally try to have 80% of their guys come out of their academy. So... Um, uh, the other one is Athletic Madrid. They've been functioning in the same kind of way and really shown a lot of improvement with quite small budgets. Um, uh, you know, some impressive teams on this front have been teams like um, Perth Wildcats. They made the finals, I think, 24 or 28 seasons in a row, something like that. Um, I talked about Geelong in the AFL. Uh, Western Bulldogs are looking really good in the AFL. Um, they've, they've changed coaches. It all depends on whether they get buying in belief from a, from a coaching point of view. Sorry, I, I do bang on about it, Cashew, so. <laughs> That's all right. So as long as you're talking up Geelong, uh, Perth Wildcats, uh, for those overseas, uh, the NBL team in Perth, and they have been a, a good performer for many, many years. And 
the National Basketball League. Uh, ben, uh, can we, we bring you back to the um, nitty-gritty of uh, the dark arts of the actual game? Um, what are your thoughts about um, the, the front row play in the UK? Do you believe that, uh, that anyone in the South will be able to, uh, to match them uh, come uh, you know, World Cup September, October next year? Because uh, the All Blacks and, and Springboks will scrum well, but I just think they've got a massive advantage. They'll go into the Six Nations next year and fine-tune, whereas in the South we'll have all four countries uh, competing against each other four test matches in the South to prepare for the World Cup. You know, I think, I think every team has an advantage or a disadvantage. You know, Eng- England has a massive disadvantage in what we've talked about in terms of the level of cohesion. So that's where they've struggled. That's why they've only won one, you know, Six Nations in the past you know, 10 or 12 years. Have they got so, time to bring it together in the um, Six Nations? No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the, we... we it's these things take take a long period of time, take years and years. Um, you know, we we talk about it making a ten. You know, for Ireland, it's taking ten years to get things right for them until the it sort of manifests itself. You know, there's no question England can win a World Cup, but maybe there isn't enough scrums in the game to make enough differential. They're going to be dominant. They're going to be successful. But you know, I think an All Blacks can match them in that area well enough, and they have enough strengths in their game to make the difference um, in terms of of what they do. You know, England has been successful in 03 when they were. Um, you know, they were able to hold that test group together a long, long time um, and uh, from sort of that 97 sort of period um, through to 03. So that's what, that's what gave them that success. And they almost still uh, weren't able to get done in that final. So um, there's no question they've got the athletes. It's just how they're set up that makes things very, you very difficult for them. the year before. We've discussed this before with Kissy. You know, remember the Wallabies uh, absolutely unstoppable in 1998 then went on and won the World Cup in 99. It was pretty tight, but they were certainly, I think, a better team in 98 and um, destroyed uh, New Zealand three times in a year. And it was, all, of course, start of that, the start of that five-year dominance for the Bledisloe Cup. And then you look at England's effort then um, the year before leading up to the World Cup in 2003, uh, being they, they clearly were, were performing well heading into that. So if you're not performing well now, Ireland is... Uh, for example, then I think history really tells you that you're not much of a chance. Yeah, and, and one interesting thing is we've been looking at the All Blacks' performances and, and their, their peak of their performance was actually 2008 and they've been declining ever since. So um, it's just by how much and it's by, by little grades at the moment. So whether they're able to hang on and win another World Cup is going to be a really interesting question. But, um, you know, there's a lot of talk at the moment about them being the best team in the world, but I don't. I, I know they are winning, and it's belief that's getting it done. But they're certainly not winning by the margins that they were previously. Um, uh, we see the best All Blacks team is uh, um, that sort of 87 to 90 period, and um, and and the, we use a number which is uh, uh, a percentage of points on the field. So, of all the points scored, what percentage are you scoring? And I think the All Blacks during that time were scoring 79% of points on the field, which is just an unbelievable record. They were doing it for basically two or three years um, uh, through sort of 87 after beating France through the sort of 1990. So uh, they're, they're not the side they were, but they're a bloody good team. Benny, if, if you took somebody out of that all-black side like a, like a Richie McCaw, what sort of effect would that have on the, you know, the synergy and uh, all your percentages and your, and your TWIs in, in and around a team like the all-blacks? 
I think it's a really interesting scenario they've got after the last World Cup where they had McCaw and Carter. And one of the problems they've got at the moment with those two guys is they have a high level of injury. So they have guys come in for a little bit and they come out. It's it's not so much what happens when you have um, McCaw in the side, but if you have one guy in a position for a long period of time and then he goes, that's a problem. Um, so my sort of biggest concern is that they keep playing Carter at 10 now up until the World Cup. What happens if he gets injured? They don't have anyone there to sort of fulfill that role. My feeling is that basically after the last World Cup, they should have said, right, thanks, thanks, Dan and Dan and Richie, uh, you're done. Let's go and rebuild a back row for the next World Cup because it's a real, you know, take those two out and they're very, very vulnerable. Um, and so uh, that, that's a real danger for them and they are injury prone and um, because of their, their age. Um, and I'm not saying they're not the best players in the world, but it's a, it's a bit of a blind side for them. And, and, you know, I did almost lose them the 2011 World Cup because they really didn't have the guys prepped at 10. You know, obviously had a whole stack of injuries in that area, but um, it made things difficult. McCall was almost out with a broken foot. So uh, it, it does hurt your numbers when experienced guys leave. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Casho, um, anything else for Ben? No, listen, I think we've... Um, we've um Gone across just about a. a, you, guys heat, go, a you, guys, you guys go a fair way back. You and Benny Darwin. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. The Cabana Bar. <laughs> the Cabana Bar. The Great North. Which, uh, Benny, as, as you know, is, uh, is, is no more. Yeah, it's, um, it's a real shame, actually. Uh, uh, it was a fantastic facility, but um, I think it's best for the club that uh, if, if things are financially in a, in a good position, so hopefully they will be in the well, future. I, I think uh, all, all rugby clubs shouldn't really run hospitality venues, so uh, I think they're better off talking about uh, about pumping up footies rather than, um, you know, uh, what sort of beer they're going to have or, you know, who's, who's running the disco on Friday night. Yeah, that's... Uh... That is a good point, um, and I had many a very, very good night at the disco at, uh, at North from um, from about uh, 1997 uh, till to about the year 2000. Benny, you're not coaching anymore. No, this is this is sort of our full time job. So we're in um, we're working with a company called Prozone, which is um, uh, they mostly uh, do the data out of the EPL, and so most of our work at the moment is uh, based in Europe and based in European football. Um, and then hopefully, if that continues to go well, we'll look at. Um, the American market and the NBA and things like that. So uh, yeah, that's um, it's a very slow burn with this sort of thing, but um, we, we're starting to get some interest uh, across and, different and Benny, sports. One of the guys you're working with at, at Prozone is uh, Andrew, Andrew Sullivan, the, uh, the the former Wallaby uh, analyst. Yeah, Digit and I were rooming together for the uh, for the IAB conference. We've spent a lot of time together. Um, we both love the analysis, and and he's done a fantastic job, and he's really landed on his feet after his time at the. Uh, the ARU, and um, uh, he's now basically running uh, the the non-football sports division of Prozone, and uh, um, he's got some pretty good stuff. Well, I think you've got some pretty good stuff uh, in the making there, Ben Darwin. Uh, always knew it would be something like this with you, mate. So uh, congratulations, and and congratulations on the young family too. We can hear him in the background. That wasn't Stuart Lancaster, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, and... Uh, Oh, but he did, he did email me, Jero, after the article. So, uh, well, well anyway, so what was that email? Was it full of... Uh, how did it go? Um, uh, is this oh, on, the on the record or off the record? So, are you happy to say? Uh, he, he just uh, just emailed and said um, he's itched to some of my thoughts and uh, and we'll, we'll maybe have a discussion about it. Um, obviously, uh, uh, my preference would always be to work for the AU, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it's always a challenge with these type of things, particularly... 
it's a very tight time for the AAU and I think they've probably got other priorities. Yeah, that's a good response too. I mean, if a coach um, doesn't dismiss uh, something like this, which, um, you know, the numbers are adding up, aren't they cash out? Oh, yeah. You know, listen, they, uh, they, they certainly are. And every coach out there, every organisation is looking for that edge. A very, very competitive market here, here in Australia. And I think a lot of people out there would be crazy if, uh, if, if they didn't go about get in contact with Benny and, uh, and really use the facilities there because it just makes sense. It certainly does. So um, good luck in monetizing all that, uh, Benny. I, I really hope it's successful for you um, and it's a good way to bring... So we, we talk about all these intangibles and you're actually bringing this into the realm of science, so to speak, and, and pulling the numbers together to make statistical sense of it. And, uh, you know, um, are, you, are you actually going to... Uh, <laughs> is there one of the, one of the Darwin fellas coming? Sorry. <laughs> this is the second one. Hang on. So he wants to ask you if he can have your ice cream. Hello. 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 Say hello to our Rugger Matrix crew. Can you say hello? Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Fantastic. And the whole family's there. Uh, Benny, uh, thanks very much for joining us on the show, uh, and we'll give you the big family farewell. They call it the family shot at the end of a, a television news set before the end of the program, so we've got the perfect family shot. Don't you have the TV on. Teddy, say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right, there he is, Ben Darwin. Thank you very much. Uh, Gainline, check them out. We'll have a link from the website. Really interesting stuff and uh, terrific. Casho, thanks for coming in. And I know you're blowing up deluxe about the uh, traffic, but good to see you in the end. Always worthwhile when I'm here. All right, there he is, Mark Cashman. That is it for Rugged Matrix International. Thanks to Benny Darwin and family. Thanks to Mark Cashman. We'll see you next week for episode 200. Can't wait for that one.